from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello everybody once again to Talking Catholic, the official podcast of the Catholic community of South Jersey. I'm Pete Sanchez, staff writer, social media coordinator for the Catholic Star Herald newspaper, and as always, my compadre, Michael Walsh, Director of Communications. How are you, Mike? I am doing very well, sir. Uh, this is a back-to-back podcast for us, uh, one after another. The, uh, yeah. the lovely Andy LaPenta, which would have gone up uh, last week, and I can already tell you, uh, the KFC, or Knights of Columbus National, I know, I keep saying KFC, uh, <laughs> Knights of Columbus National uh, gave it a lot of retweets and a lot of likes and a lot of loves. So, Wonderful. So uh, getting around the country, he did a great job. I hope everybody enjoyed last week's uh podcast yeah I, I it was just really nice to have Andy brother night three nights in the room uh, I think we might have another one today um, so we will talk about him in a bit mm-hmm. uh, oh I just give give away it's it is a male so that and the, the his name is on the title of the podcast I think everyone's gonna know who it is yes that's right I'm oh, not really know, surprising we, anybody <laughs> darn it spoiler alert um <laughs> But, so, Mike, we got some cool things coming up uh, next month. Um, the Diaconate Info Meeting. Have you have you thought ever thought about becoming a permanent deacon? I did, as a matter of fact. I had a I had a meeting with a uh, priest friend about it who encouraged me to do it. Then I had a meeting with a pastor uh, who encouraged me to do it. And then I found out how hard the deacons have to work, <laughs> and I got scared. And the wife said, "Hey, hey, hey, how about after our kids are a little bit older?" But I'll tell you, I know a lot of deacons who actually have young kids and they're able to do it seamlessly together. So uh, if you have children or you're younger, uh, don't be scared off by it because uh, every every deacon you and I have ever met loves what they do. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't I haven't run across a bad one in a bunch yet. I haven't either. They're pretty much on fire with uh, with um, their work and their uh, what they do, you know, different ministries. Uh, throughout the Diocese of Camden, um, and if you think you're being called to serve uh, Christ as a deacon, and are between the ages of 30 and 55, uh, the information meeting will be August 10th at 7 p.m. at Our Lady of the Angels, 35 East Mechanic Street, Cape May Courthouse. For more info, call the office of the Diaconate at 856-583-2858, um, or go to camdendiocese.org. I believe all these announcements on the community board will be they're pretty much all on kimdiocese.org. But it's nice to get, uh, you know, we're able to put this out here on this. Uh, instead of doing the um, the bell, we're not ringing the bell, Mike. We're on the podcast. So <laughs> we're not the town crier. Oh, I was about to say, only the uh, only the people who have listened to all of the, uh, or have listened to all of the podcasts will get that reference. Or listen to the Steve Obarski podcast. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's right. Oh, you oh talked my. about the bell ringing. Yes, those experiences of my life. And we're not going to um, explain it now. you got to go back and look at it. Yes. Or read, yeah, listen to it. And read. And you know what? Listen to all of them leading up to it as you go back, as you flip through. Um, and then five days after uh, the Diakon Info meeting, there is the Wedding of the Sea in Atlantic City. A few weeks ago, we had Father John Thomas, pastor of Parish St. Monica, talking about this wonderful festival. Bishop Sullivan celebrates Mass Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. And then it's really uh, awesome. He and the mayor processed down the boardwalk, past all the umbrellas and the people sun tanning and enjoying the ocean and walking along the boardwalk. Yeah, it's it's actually nice just to see everybody watching the procession, let alone the procession itself. And yeah, they kind of they just start turning their heads like, what what's going on? But it's a really nice opportunity for evangelization, Mike. Oh I yeah, just think you know because then there's questions and then. Who knows? It might bring them to Mass. Uh, but that is going to be on the 15th, Tuesday, uh, starting at um, Doors Open, Boardwalk Hall 11. And the program will start at noon. And then after the Mass and the procession to the surf, uh, where Bishop will throw a wreath into the ocean, there will be a festival at St. Michael's parking lot. And go to accatholic.org for more info. And a few other places, uh, Avalon, um, Margate, oh, where, where are the other churches? I, 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 yeah, you know, I haven't even looked up to see which churches. I know Cape May is doing it. I'm pretty okay. sure uh, Stone Harbor Avalon is doing it. Wildwood, Atlantic City. 
uh, I would bet that uh, all of the churches will. Well, everybody will be doing the Feast of the Assumption Mass, of course. Yes. Uh, the procession itself, the Wedding of the Sea procession itself. I know those those four towns are doing it. Yeah, and just a, just a beautiful day wherever you are down the shore. Come out to this great event. Um, and then in September we have. Wow, we're already talking about September. Uh, the 16th annual Diocesan Blue Mass, uh, which is a great event celebrated to honor the service and sacrifice of uh, law enforcement and first responders. That's going to be once again at Our Lady of Hope Parish, St. Agnes Church in Blackwood, and at uh, 10.30 a.m. on September 29th. Uh, just a really awesome, I, I believe the bishop will be there. Mike, do, do you know? I believe so. Okay. I think he, I imagine he would be. He's done it before, and he's always been very complimentary uh, to the law enforcement and first responders. So come out and thank them for everything they do uh, for the diocese and for us. Um, and then coming up in uh, October 11th, Mike, going back to Atlantic City uh, for the Catholic Charities Justice for All dinner. Um, and it's exciting. We got Cardinal Joseph Tobin of Newark, Archdiocese of Newark will be the honoree, uh, and it's neat, this Catholic Charities, they do this every year, the 14th annual, it's recognizes individuals and organizations uh, who, who really have demonstrated their um, amazing commitment to, you know, serving the needs of the poor, and basically working for social justice, which is Catholic Charities' mission. Yeah, uh, and Cardinal Tobin's such a great representative of that, you know, he's he's been at the forefront of the battle over refugees, the battle over uh, immigrants, the battle over health care. Um, he's really been and very, very fair and even-handed about it all, um, understanding, you know, a need to, to be protective of our, you know, of our own society, but at the same time making sure we're always open and welcoming to those who are struggling and in need. So um, when when the topic came up of an honoree, he was sort of a. Uh, now that he's he's one of ours, he's a Jersey boy of ours now. Uh, it was a uh, it was a no brainer to uh, to award him the Saint John Newman Award. Oh Saint really? Award, That's, yeah. Yeah. Is it Newman or Neumann? <laughs> I allow other people to make that decision. I will <laughs> continue to refer to him as uh, Newman, um, only because we're from the Philadelphia area and we all say Newman. Newman, yeah, there's a priest who said Neumann. It totally confused me. I didn't know who he was talking about. And then yeah. He spelled it out. I'm like, oh, that's not Neumann. It's Newman. <laughs> I, I find that people. I find that people from outside the Philadelphia area. Everyone else seems to say Neumann, and it's just us. We're just so used to it. As uh, you know, if you went to Newman High School or or whatnot. So, so on Seinfeld should have been hello Neumann. No, he spelled it differently. <laughs> so the Justice for All dinner will be held at Resorts Hotel and Casino on October 11th, and actually, there are actually going to be nominations for a Disciple of Mercy. Um, these individuals, there'll be one from each deanery in the diocese, uh, exemplifies their Catholic identity and its mission of mercy to alleviate poverty to benefit the marginalized in South Jersey. Um, you can nominate people at Catholic Charities, www.catholiccharitiescamden.org. And I'm excited for that event. Uh, and you can register for the event at CatholicCharitiesCanada.org as well uh, for the Justice for All Dinner October 11th. Um, so a lot of good things coming up in yeah. South Jersey. And Mike, uh, do you have plans for the weekend? It's, it is Friday. I uh, yes. When uh, when I the next time you hear my voice, I will have been uh, camping with my son and his Cub Scout troop for three days. So you know, with any luck, we'll all come back alive. The uh, no, no, I'm actually looking forward to it. I haven't been camping in a couple of years. I used to go camping all the time and um, just sort of we had each other a crew we would go camping with. And as we all got older and had kids, it became more of a problem getting together. And now I'm utilizing my child to actually go out and camp. So I'm looking forward to it. That is, and this could be his first time camping? Your son's This will be his first time camping, yeah. Wow, so making fire, s'mores. S'mores, the whole bed, fishing. Nice, you know, yeah. nice. I'm, I can't want out. Wow. And yeah, that's uh, tell you all about it when I get back. Yeah, please do. I actually uh, almost went camping earlier this summer with friends. It just didn't happen. Mm. But I'm hoping soon. Uh, this weekend, uh, this is appropriate to our guest um, because he is, you know, hear a little bit about him. But this weekend, I'm actually going to New York with family. But one of the things we do whenever we're there, amazing tradition. I'm going to plug Victor's Cafe 
in New York. I don't know if Bishop Sullivan knows. <laughs> They're on, I think, 51st Street. They are amazing. They're Cuban cuisine. Mm. Uh, as you know, my father's Cuban. I do. So I grew up uh, delicious food. They have um, empanadas, uh, arroz con pollo, uh, vacas fritas, which is a fried, it's literally fried cow, but it's beef. It's delicious. Um, they have uh, yuca, which is, a. I mean, it is, um, look all those, deli- I mean, it's just, a, you know, mojito, I normally have, <laughs> which is, no, Mike, this is like the best, and ask for Armando. Armando okay. is the coolest, no, seriously, it is just. Armando so, and Victor's, okay. No, it is, uh, I go there a couple times a year, and I come back, and I'm always like, oh. it just, well, I mean, I, I should really petition them to open uh one down here. It's too far to get to New York. I need I need my Victor's fix once a week at least, if only for empanadas. But it, well, getting to our guest, um, Hispanic. Uh, he's actually one of the things we're going to talk about is Hispanic ministry. We have uh, Father David Rivera coming all the way from Bridgeton, uh, where he's associate pastor. I think that's, is that the Proku Vicar associate pastor. Is yes. that kind of the same? Because okay. it I mean, seems so I, I, I like to use the word curate, but that's okay. Whatever. Curate. It's oh, all the same thing. I, I, I'm hired help for the past. <laughs> I mean, I'm joking. We work, to, we work very well together. And um, my, my pastor now, Father, well, all the pastors I've worked with have been very fine, fine priests and pastors that made me feel very, very much part of what they're doing. So mm-hmm. um, I just say, I think I just said it was more just joking around. But, uh, <laughs> so. No, you have, you've come from one of the really great past uh, parishes in, uh, in South Jersey and Bridgeton, New Jersey, which is, uh, it's an area of uh, South Jersey. It's, I wouldn't go so far as a short shrift, but uh, I think some folks have forgotten about it as, you know, sort of the South Jersey of, has evolved, but Bridgeton, Bridgeton was one of the principal cities in South Jersey, uh, you know, hundred years ago, fifty years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody remembers that one. It, well, it was. Yeah. I mean, it was. A, it's a beautiful city. It actually has beautiful. Uh, I can tell you a little bit about that history. Yeah, and definitely. I. Um, okay, so my father uh, recently passed. May he rest in peace. Um, when I was, um, I think, fifteen or sixteen, and I'm thirty-six, so it was about twenty years ago. Um, started to go to Bridgeton to start a charismatic prayer group. So that's when I first heard about Bridgeton. Then I had a classmate uh, from high school move to Bridgeton. So the only time I really heard about Bridgeton growing up was then. And I'm thinking, where is that? It's like the end of the world, you know. And I never thought in a million years that I would live there. And then um, two years into my very happy time at St. Peter's in Merchantville, I got a phone call that says, hey, the uh, board says uh, unanimously you're going to Bridgeton. I was like, oh. <laughs> and it wasn't like, well, it was kind of both. It was like, I'm happy where I'm at. I don't want to leave. But also... Bridgeton? Okay. Um, I never thought I'd go there. And I've been there now four years, and they've been very, 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 very good and happy years. It's very different from where I was, uh, but it's the more I learn about it, the more amazing it is for me uh, as a priest. And um, I've learned a lot about the history, yeah. as you mentioned, and a very glorious past, um, but it's following the trend of many towns in the country, these country towns. Yeah. Uh, that lost industry of all kinds and mm-hmm. then are quickly becoming demographically Latino, like overnight, mm-hmm. and to the, to the shock of the people that traditionally lived there, which is happening a lot in the Midwest right now. And, um, yes, yeah, so we could talk about that, that whole history if you want. You can ask questions. Or I could just go um, because I can rattle off <laughs> some things there for you because a lot of our parishioners are involved in some of that history. Well, you know, that, that Britain area, your parish in and of itself is a very large parish as well, just in terms of uh, acreage, in terms of mileage, it's it's a hike from one end of it to the other. It used to be, I think, at one time, five separate churches, which through a variety of mergers came together, and so it's now a, a bulk of Cumberland County is now your parish. Yeah, I think so. For our listeners, um, we have to be careful. First, people in that area are somewhat sensitive about saying it's just Bridgeton, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what was the traditional parish of Bridgeton City, Immaculate Conception Church, and then later St. Teresa Church in the 60s? Mm-hmm. That's Bridgeton proper. Now, uh, in the mergers that occurred, what, seven, eight years ago, whatever, eight, I forget. Eight, nine years ago. Now, the following towns were merged with their respective churches. Rosenheim, which mm-hmm. has its own 100-year history of having a parish, more mm-hmm. than that. 
Cedarville, uh, St. Michael's Church, and Port Norris, which has a very interesting history because at one point had the most millionaires in every place in the country mm-hmm. because of the clam industry. And then the clams got sick and all the money disappeared. Oh, and uh, that was like a very bright flash in the pan, but it's part of their history. Yeah. And so those people don't associate with Bridgeton as being where they're from. Although that would be the big, quote, city, you know, they, they may have go to the shop when in its heyday. Yeah. Uh, although Port Norris and Cedarville have a very strong relationship with Millville. So it's cool. So we cover two-thirds of the county. So if somebody wants to get an idea of the size of our parish, what you do is look at Cumberland County, look at Vineland and Millville. Everything else is us. Yeah. Outside yeah. of Vineland and Millville, that's us. So it, it is quite large from Rosenhain to Port Norris, I guess would be the two farthest, you know, churches from each other. It's about a 30-minute drive. Yeah. You know, I mean, it depends on the traffic and how fast you can, you know, go down some of these country roads, you know. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it, you're not getting there in less than 25 minutes to Port Norris from Rosenheim. Yeah. It, just, it just can't. It's not. And it's a jumping helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that parish, uh, I mean, aside from being a very agricultural uh, parish, a very urban parish, you also have... One major prison, two major prisons. Like I was we, how many um, so I tell people our parish has everything. We go from suburban, I means from rural to urban, and we also have the shore because we have the Delaware River Coast and we have Fortescue, yeah. which you know, definitely a long time ago had its own boardwalk. Mm-hmm. People used to come up from the ferry from Philadelphia to Fortescue, and it had like a you know, like like some like somewhat like Wildwood type feel to it. And uh, I spent a week there on vacation, actually. There's actually, like, homes there people vacation on, and you can swim in the water. There has a beach, and people go fishing, and you can see Dover, Delaware. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, military planes fly over all the time. So I kind of joke we have we also have a shore parish. Um, <laughs> it's not the shore shore, but it's, hey, people can swim in the water, and it's a big body of water there. Yeah. So. Um, so we have everything between now in terms of prisons and things like that. We have in our boundaries... Uh, Southern State, which is about 45 minutes away from downtown Bristol, and actually has two facilities that are separate. So there's mm-hmm. two prisons. Mm-hmm. We have Southwoods Prison, which is right in Bridgeton, which is the largest state prison of New Jersey. Then we have the federal prison, which is in Fairton. And then we have where Father Peter Eidler, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is helping out there uh, now. And um, the jail, the county jail, because Bridgeton is the county seat. Yeah. So we have, in our parish boundaries, five correctional facilities. Of I mean, we stretch the whole levels from local to uh, federal. That's the amazing thing about that area. Now, I, I grew up, I'm born and bred in South Jersey. I have lived here my entire life. A lot of family from the Bridgeton area. My The, the other thing, in, top, in terms of everything, you sort of touched on a little bit, a lot of marine life. I mean... Boating, fishing, yes. yeah. crabbing, uh, crabbing. It's, yeah. it's everything. So there's no such thing as being a priest in this parish and being a one-trick pony. You really have to minister to everybody. As a matter of fact, first time you and I ever met each other, I think, was at Southwoods State Prison for one of the first yes. of the bishop's masses yes, that right. I went on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about podcasting. We were. As a matter of fact. And look, <laughs> finally, here it is. You are. As a matter of fact... And, and Pete is very excited about this. He wanted to bring in champagne for this. You are our 25th podcast. Woo-hoo, He's very man. excited about What's that. my gift? Uh, our our presence is apparently your, your gift. <laughs> but, but Pete wanted to, wanted to set you up. The, um, but that's what it is. I mean, and that's kind of the beauty of South Jersey uh, and, and the Camden Diocese for our purposes, at least for my purposes, one of the things I always like about it is it is so incredibly diverse. Yeah. Uh, and not just yeah. in terms of you know racial diversity, but diverse in culturally and economically it's, you have to be able to work with with all with all groups so my question is as a young priest you know how did you finally kind of come to that ability to be able to is this something you were just innately always good at or something you sort of learned over time um for our listeners i was born and raised in camden new jersey so and then i'm puerto rican descent so that automatically put me in a multicultural situation right from the get-go so i grew up speaking spanish uh, I grew up with African-Americans, all different types of Latinos, Dominicans, Cubans, whatever was in the area. Um, also, some uh, what we would consider white people, you know, of all varieties, Polish, 
Italian, whatever was left in Canada when I was growing up. Um, I was used to go to Puerto Rico in the summers. So I got to know the Puerto Rico shore better than I ever got to know the Jersey shore, to be real honest. Because we were not used to going to, we, didn't, we weren't part of that Jersey culture, you know, to, that's what we did. So, and since obviously Puerto Rico is part of the United States, we could easily travel and that's what we did. So I grew up in a very ethnically diverse and culturally diverse, linguistically diverse, whatever you want to call it. You know, you speak inner city kind of language, England, in, you know, regular English, obviously, Spanish, Spanglish, you know, so you can get used to that. So I was very comfortable already just being with different people. I mean, I remember when me and my parents moved from Camden to Blackwood and I took the bus for the first time. It was the first time I was such a homogeneous bus, you know, it was like suburban white kids and perfectly fine, nice people, but I just felt strange because there's nothing what I was used to. I was considered... I was used to be being considered the white kid, in quotes, mm -hmm. on the block. Mm -hmm. I mean, people would even call me that. You're the white boy. Mm -hmm. Because I like to, I, although I listen to their music, I liked classical music. I liked rock music. I liked other things. And so I was kind of like, stood, so I was very used to being in that situation. I, I liked it very much. Um, so I think that prepared me very much for just being in a very culturally diverse, which I'd like to talk to you more about that if you get a chance about what really is in Bridgeton. There would surprise people what's there. Oh, I mean, we can right, talk about it right, right now. now. Yeah, talk about it right so now. let's do a couple of things here. First, if you're from Camden and you say you're from South Jersey, down there, they laugh at you. And I, I used to get mad at that. Of course I'm from South Jersey. I'm from Camden. And they're like, uh, please, you're hardly from South Jersey. That's like central North Jersey already. Yeah. I'm thinking, come on, what's wrong with you people? And then I moved there and I realized, oh, mm -hmm. some people talk different down here. Mm -hmm. I mean, they actually have like a slightly southern twang. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I like, you know, I'll cut you off right there. I, I say that to people all the time, and it's true. I mean, if you extend the Mason Dixon line from Pennsylvania, Southern New Jersey is below it. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I think I've even said on this podcast and yeah. haven't been murdered yet, but there are parts of Southern New Jersey you can pick up and drop in Alabama and you wouldn't notice the difference. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. NASCAR, I mean, it's like that, but it's... NASCAR is big where I'm at. Oh, yeah. And, NASCAR and real big. It was very different for me to be in a part of Jersey that's associated more with Delaware and Wilmington yeah. than with Philly. Yeah. Exactly. Because actually you get to Wilmington faster than you can to Philly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that blew my mind. I was like, "I wow, am I am I still in South Jersey?" Mm -hmm. No, you are now South Jersey, and it is just so different. And it's very different, even from. It's funny, you know, like Florida, from like Jacksonville to like Central Florida is part of the South. Yeah. But the minute you get from Central to to the Southern tip, it becomes the Northeast again. Yeah. Because of the people that live there. South Jersey reflects that a little bit in that Cape May, although it's more physically South than. Bridgeton, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the Florida effect. People want to move there, so people yeah. from all parts of Jersey, where that part of New Jersey that's not that little tail, mm -hmm. that's that's really the southern, mm -hmm. and that's really southern feeling. I mean, I you know, I was at a farm mass, and I looked across from where I was, and I saw a Confederate flag, yeah. and I took a picture because I don't think anybody would believe me. I was like, no, there's, there was a Confederate flag flying down here. Now, my friend is a state trooper, and he happened to be stationed in the Britain area on his first assignments, which is interesting, because um, this is what he told me, and I don't know if this is true, maybe somebody who's a state trooper can confirm this, but he said they like to put some of the new guys in Britain because of the variety that there is, because they actually are the local police force in some towns. Yeah. So, usually state troopers don't do domestics, but in this area, they might, because they're the only police in that area. Anyway, it's just crazy. So, so that's number one. It was a shock. Like, this is different down here. Yeah. Um, open land, lots of farms, but it's great because it's like farm, 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 town, and a big town, like 35,000 people town, surrounded by farms. I could walk from my church. I could walk to a farm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's, it kind of was like a millennial kind of dream. Like, oh, I live in a small, nice city surrounded by farms. But nobody, you know, it's just... It's just strange, and um, so that's one. Yeah. Now, in terms of ethnic diversity, what's what's in Bridgeton? Um, historically, I know that a lot of Germans moved there. Um, there's Estonians, mm -hmm. uh, Japanese. Some sad history of our life, of our country, during World War II. 
Seabrook Farms, which was feeding Europe while they were just, you know, at war, a lot of vegetables came from Seabrook Farms. Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting history all by itself. Well, they brought a lot of Japanese or used them to work in Seabrook Farms. They went to Europe and recruited Estonians and other Eastern Europeans to work on the farms. So you have that mix there. Um, so you have Italians that came in large numbers to the Bridgeton area, Rosenhain area, mm -hmm. uh, to do farming. So you had Germans, of course you had Irish, in you know typical uh, quote Anglo, you know people that just also they're their original like revolutionary time type people and families. African Americans, we have a very historic town called Ghoul Town, which is where this is where I might get this history just slightly wrong, but I know it's one of the first places where there was a mixed marriage, mm. white black, that was permitted and they were living there and it was okay. So that's mm. Ghoul Town, and we had the Lenape which is mispronounced up here as Lenape. Mm -hmm. And so their headquarters is downtown Bridgeton. Yep. And so we have Native Americans, and they have their own, you know, quote, powwow or, you know, gatherings once a year and everything. Mm -hmm. And now we have uh, the Latinos, the Puerto Ricans, that came in at one point for farming, and most of them have moved more to violent area, but they're still there. Colombians, that I guess the same time as the Puerto Ricans, but now heavily, heavily Mexican. So we have a massive Mexican population. I would say half the population now, Britian, is ethnically, you know, Latino and mostly Mexican. So we have all that going on. Yeah. So it's it's pretty mixed. And Britian is pretty urban. And like literally walking distance, it becomes rural. Yeah. Wow. You know. So. I agree. I think it's a I think it's a great place to really learn a lot about life. You know, my family was from the Greater Bridgeton area. I spent a lot of time uh, in Port Norris uh, fishing on my grandfather's boat. Um, so I, I, for me, you know, it's funny you were you were talking about. I, I've said for years that, um, as far as I was concerned, North Jersey starts at the Camden County border, the <laughs> southern end of the border, and yeah. um, so Gloucester County and below is, is southern New Jersey because I grew up in Gloucester County. But um, but it's true, and it's you know when I when I want to have a moment of like reflection, or if I want to really kind of like just get away from it all. I do a drive from Salem County into Cumberland County and go past all those places I went by as a kid and just, you know, I'll just sit out in the farmland and just relax. I was doing a photo project recently and I spent six hours in Cumberland County just driving around mm -hmm. taking pictures of the farms and the boats. It's beautiful. It's, beautiful. it's, it's a great place. So all you millennials who might be listening to this podcast, if you're looking for a place to move to, you Talk can do to worse. Father David. That's right. And you Talk can do worse me. in the Bridgeton yeah. area. And like a lot of good food in the area too. Particularly I know in Millville they have a bunch of nice uh, little restaurantes. Cum Cumberland County. Well, I mean, I don't want to get too far off of the spiritual topic, but I get involved in a lot of like civic things too. Yeah. And I keep preaching agro-tourism. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that in, mm -hmm. in Italy, in which you have like let's say a farmhouse that ends up being like a bed and breakfast, and one of the rules are all the food that's consumed there has to come within a 50 mile radius and be in season. Wow. Cumberland County, Salem County, Hamilton area, all perfect for that. Yeah. I mean, it's because it's just so beautiful down there. And um, yeah. anyway, um, here's a little thing about Bridgeton that I just learned recently that I think some people consider heresy. But it's it's part of comic book history. Do you know what it is? Well, no. comic book history? Uh, no, no, I should know. What is it? The original location of Gotham is Bridgeton. Get out. Batman's mansion is in Bridgeton. Really? One of our what? I think it was the Next City Press yeah. or the South Jersey. One of those papers did a, hist a study, and you can look it up. I'm not making I'm it making up. making a note of it right one now. One of the a very original like uh, DC comic encyclopedias or whatever mm -hmm. shows a map of South Jersey, and it's right square, right where Bristol is. And the original Metropolis was Wilmington. Now, of course, that all yeah, right. that, that like all like disappeared in like two seconds, right? They switched it up to New York in that whole area. However, look it up in the comic book history. I will. I will absolutely. I know. I know. Do that. No way, Father. I'm like. I'm not. I didn't make it. I didn't do that research. <laughs> it was a local newspaper. I think it was. I think it was Atlantic City uh, Press. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. yeah. They. I think they did the story. One of those. So. Wow. So Bruce. Wayne's I will check that out. Jersey. Be awesome. He's a Jersey boy. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of little tidbits. Little historic tidbits about Bridgeton. Yeah. That, and. So I love a good uh, walk down history lane, and I will talk South Jersey with anybody and, and love every second of it. But I am curious. 
So how does a good kid from Camden who moved to Blackwood become a priest? Um, well, vocation story. Um, I'll try to make this succinct because um, there's a long version and the short version. Um, I think most priests would, would, would realize that it begins at childhood and all the things that happen they see post facto. Mm-hmm. But we're an explicit part of the vocation story. So I'm going to give you the explicit part. It's like how I physically just got in. So I was dating. I think I just graduated high, high school. I was working for my brother. One day after Mass, I went to Father Paul Breslin, Franciscan, at the Padua Church in Camden. Um, I said to him, hey, listen, I, I feel a little kind of like I need more direction in life. I think I want to get more involved in church again. I was always very involved, but I figured I'm going to become a lector or something or get reintegrated. He said, look, there's a vocations retreat. It's called Come and See Retreat at St. Charles Seminary in two weeks. Why don't you go and check it out? So I said, sure. So uh, I'll leave out some details, but I went. And uh, with no intention of actually staying. And then uh, what happened was, after the retreat, I said, oh my gosh, I have to actually try this. Um, So I came back, and uh, let's just say I had some discussions with my girlfriend about it, and I (laughs) did not go in. Let's just say, it didn't happen. And that was like May-ish. So that summer, we were still together. September, we broke up anyway. But it was, and I, as soon as we broke up, I ran to the vocations office with Father Zolak. And I said, sign me up now before I change my mind. Get me into this process. So I stayed going to, I was going to Rutgers Camden at that time, working at the parking lot right there. Um, there's a law school, across you from the law school, there used to be a parking lot. And I ran that lot for a while. You know, I was, and I worked with the you know, owner and was the manager for that, just for a year and a half. Yeah. And then I went to seminary. And I've stayed in. So that's the real short, succinct version. Uh, slightly more information. My dad had been in seminary for five years himself yeah. in the past in Puerto Rico in a religious order. And so I grew up. My uncle was a priest. Um, my family is pretty religious. My, you know, especially my parents were very involved in church. So all the fun, you know, the foundations are being laid for a long time for me to listen to a call. And there were little things that happened throughout that whole time that pushed me in because vocation means, you know, a call, which means somebody's calling you, which means most likely you're going in another direction and somebody's saying, hey, come this way. You know, if you look at the prophets of the, the Bible, it's usually what happens. They're minding their business until God says, hey, I got something else for you to do. <laughs> and usually sometimes they're a little reluctant. They're kind of like, well, uh, you know, I really like what I'm doing. And he's like, Thus says the Lord, I am the Lord, come do what I tell you, you know? And uh, so I think little things happened to me that convinced me that this was not something that was just my own fantasy or idea. It was just something I had to pursue here. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I was resistant, to be honest with you. I had nothing against the priesthood, the beauty of the priesthood and all that. I just didn't think it was for me. I thought I I had other plans. And enough things happened that I realized, okay, I have to pursue this and um then if you stay in seminary long enough they're dating you <laughs> that's how that works that's a good way of putting it <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> you know now okay so that's 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 good that's a good answer so how does a kid from camden who moves to blackwood and uh you know finds himself in seminary become a moral theologian well uh, and was, one of the few moral theologians certainly in south well Virginia. i'll put it this way I want to use the word theologian in a very light sense. Mm-hmm. Just out of respect for my brothers and sisters, where this is their professional career, mm-hmm. <laughs> and really are in the thick of it. But technically, yes, I studied theology. And I have my license in morals, which means I have permission, ecclesiastical permission, to teach in any Catholic institution of learning basic theology, and specifically at the higher level, morals. Um, so that's that's what that means. So I can do that. Um, now, how does that happen? What happens? Well, I got sent to Rome to study by Bishop Galante. He said, uh, after one dinner with all the seminarians, he says to me, um, David, would you like to go study in Rome? And so I said, you know, can I think about that for one second? I did a spin. I said, I thought about it, prayed about it. The answer is yes. <laughs> and uh, so I went. Now, the theological studies in Rome are divided differently than the U.S. In the U.S., it's four years of theology in which you're in a, you're in a kind of sort of in a graduate program. In 
Italy, they presume that it's, you're still like another undergrad program for three years of theology. And then you can start your licentiate. Your, your, that's because you graduate for two years or three years, depending on what you study. So we're required to do four years of theology, period, before we're ordained. So if you study in Rome, your fourth year is automatically usually the beginning of your grad school or your second level. So um, towards the end of the third year, my senior McGrath, who was at that time in charge of uh, seminaries, came to visit with Galante and said, you know, David, what would you like to study? We'll let you study whatever you want for the most part. And I thought I hit the jackpot. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like, and I just started writing, I want to study philosophy, I want to study church history. And because I liked, I liked it all. I was like, what am I going to, I just, somebody put me in a candy store and said, take whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to put in the bag. And then he said to me, he says, David, you don't know what you want because you're rattling off everything. And he was right. Mm -hmm. He was just, he was just right. I mean, he realized I was very intellectually, intellectually curious and if I, I would study all the time if they let me. Um... But he said, "You gotta, you gotta focus." I was like, "Okay, fair, very fair. Let me, let me get back to you." And I, so I, I really appreciate my senior McGrath challenging me that way. So I just remember one day I was walking back from class, and uh, I studied the Angelicum. I'm very happy about that. That's one of the universities in Rome. And I just love to walk to school and back. And I remember it was an afternoon. I remember coming out of class and going to this pros like, you know, meditating. Like, what do I want? And I realized I can't answer the question about the theology. Like, I don't even know what I want. It's a more profound question. Like what makes me tick? Mm -hmm. And I just remember praying. Just I'm just praying about that with God. Just I, I used to pray a lot with my walks. That's how I just think and talk and pray to God. And um, I don't know how exactly this things connect, but they connected for me. So as I was passing where Caesar was assassinated, you know, Largo, Argentina. Because I used to pastor all the time. I remember exactly that was the spot where the train of thought clicked. What makes me tick? I want to love and want to be loved. Like if anybody asks me, what is it fundamentally? What do you want? That was it. You know, like the most core basic thing. And somehow that connected me. Like you want to study morals then, because mm. that immoral and morals somehow that connected in my mind. I don't know if that would connect in other people's mind, but the questions that mattered to me were the ones that are brought up immorality. And morality is much more than, is it a sin to come late to Mass? I mean, the field of morals covers almost basically every field of thought, from bioethics to uh, accounting to economics to everything in between, because it deals with the purpose of life. Like, what are you doing? Is it right? Is it wrong? So you can really go almost any way you want within the study of morals. And so that's how I ended up picking moral theology. And I studied at the Santa Croce Holy Cross, Opus Dei University in Rome. And I loved it. It was just the right fit. So Isn't that, isn't that funny? You know, you studied at Holy Cross, and now you are at Holy Cross. Parish of the Holy Cross. And that worked. Is there, uh, you, you mentioned that you could teach moral theology if you wanted to. Is that something, you know, you hope to do maybe down the line? or, or? Well, it's... Um, I've been asked to teach the permanent diaconate, some okay. basics and morals, which I I happily did and enjoyed. It's just very difficult to be, I'm not a dumb guy, but I'm not like a super smart guy. And it's not like, I have some priest friends who just have very high IQs and they can read a book very quickly and they can prepare these things very easily. I'm the kind, of, I just need time. And when you're a parish priest, it's hard to pull away time from Peter to give to Paul. Yeah. And so I remember when, um, so I, I focused on very basic stuff with the, the deacons because I knew I could handle that for the most part. And uh, so I took a week off from the parish. I, I took a vacation week and I just read and prepared notes and and then just, you know, put the things I remember from my training and did my best. And I enjoyed it. It was, it was good. But I didn't prepare, you know, it's, I'm not like a, a teacher that's whose job is to prepare. I mean, I had other duties, you know, weddings and baptisms and quinceañeras. And so it was it was challenging for me to do that. It's a 13-week commitment. Yeah. I mean, for 13 weeks, I was driving from Bridgeton to um, where they used to be, close to Penn's, uh, oh, Paulsboro. Yeah. Paulsboro. Oh, yeah. Beautiful drive, by the way. It was a great drive. Um, <laughs> but that's the closest I've gone to being able to really exercise that skill on a more formal level. But the good thing about moral theology 
is it's one of the most practical things you can study as a priest because nine times out of ten, every question somebody asks me is a moral a morals question or a canon law question. Mm-hmm. And canon law definitely finds, falls under their immoral theology mm-hmm. in terms of right or wrong. Basically, they're asking me is this right or is this wrong you know, to do. Yeah. This is the best thing to do. So very, very uh, practical as well. Well, I th- you already know that you're on my speed dial anytime I have a uh, PR question that involves uh, moral theology. Fortunately, I haven't had to call you very often, but uh, yeah, when, when those things pop up, you're, you're the guy I call, the, uh, along with the canon lawyers usually. Cause, you know. yeah. Call the lawyers, then the canon lawyers, then the moral theologians. That's the, no, call the insurance company, the lawyers, canon lawyers, then the me. Yeah, so you, mentioned, you said something earlier. Is it immoral to come late to, to Mass? Um, yes, I would say it's a venial sin. To purposely... Come to Mass late is a video sin. I'll go with that one. I mean, of course, it's not on the, you know, I wouldn't. I like, Listen, I, I deal with lots of Latinos. I'm Latino, right? So rarely do people confess coming late to Mass unless it's like really late, you know, and it's chronic. And, you know, I give them, a, you know, I just say, okay, you know, try to leave a little earlier for church, you know. And we could talk about the morality of that. I, I say half-jokingly, of course. Yeah, sure. Now, I, I do have a mea culpa here, uh, being half I guess part. My dad's from Cuba. My mom uh, is from the United States. So I didn't grow up speaking Spanish, unfortunately. Only when I went to Miami to visit family, we were up in North Jersey. So I didn't have the uh, those um, those experiences with the Spanish masses until recently working. And I have to say, they are amazing. I went to one in Our Lady Guadalupe. Same thing with the singing and the devotion. The Marian devotion is very powerful. Yes. But the Spanish, it seems, uh, I know, I'm just witnessing it. It's beautiful. And they're just so much passion. And I've been to, I unfortunately have not been able to get to Bridgeton yet. One of these days, I'm going to have to come out. You need to come on December 11th. Okay. We have our procession for Our Lady Guadalupe. Okay. We walk from Immaculate Conception to St. Teresa's. It takes about an hour. Because there's about 2,000 people in the procession. And um, it's grown over the years. And um, I've been trying to make it as much as what they experience in Mexico as possible. So yeah, last year we had a milestone. We had fireworks. And that was great. We had a great, you know, fire. And the mayor of the city was there. City council was at the at the fireworks and everything. And uh, I had to laugh. That I felt bad because, like, so many people said, Father, that was better fireworks than we had for 4th of July. <laughs> so I said, here's the card of my guy who does my fireworks. You know, give him a call. So, nice. And then I got the ultimate compliment when one of my um, parishioners from Mexico, business owner, says to me, Father, now I feel like I was in Mexico. And I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. That's it. You know, it's like, if I had a microphone, I would have dropped it right then and there. Like, boom, okay. It's a sombrero drop. I would have done my sombrero drop. Bang, like, yeah, that's, is there, do you find yourself, you're speaking English here with us. Uh, do you find yourself. What, he is? Actually, I think he has a translator, Mike. I think he, oh. he has like a little okay, thing well, in his voice box. out of Star Trek? That, uh, <laughs> I'm just hearing everything? Or are we in, is it uh, Tower of Babel? Is that what it is? Or has the Holy Spirit come down and he's speaking in Spanish when I'm hearing it in English? Yeah, I think right. that's there what it is, Mike. We're all speaking our own language. It's the Holy Spirit. Um. Okay. But uh, do you find yourself a majority speaking Spanish in Bridgeton? Oh, it's half and half. Half and half? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is, I mean, it's half and half. And is it, do you mm-hmm. have English-speaking and Spanish-speaking masses at all across? Yeah, we have two Spanish masses on the weekends and three on the weekdays. And, include, and then we include any special feasts, holidays that we do and things like that. But it's more than just language, though. I mean, every every... Regardless of the fact whether they speak, they speak the same basic Spanish, each of those cultures is different, and you sort of need to be prepared yeah. for each of those cultures. Actually, one of, the, uh, one of the challenges I find is that as, as the mass has become more enculturated, that's kind of caused somewhat of a problem, mm-hmm. because those cultural differences become accentuated in a place where it shouldn't really um, in terms of unity, because what happens is some people come and they hear the music. It's more Mexican style, for example. So this is not for me. I'm more Puerto Rican style, like Puerto Rican style music. Mm-hmm. And, I've, and I hear that. And I, and I understand that. I mean, I grew up in a parish where it's predominantly Puerto Rican, and it's a different style of music. Now, I mean, I'm not saying they, they don't go to each other's man. I don't want to exaggerate. It's not true. But those differences do become 
very relevant when one becomes more present there. And there's definitely a much more Mexican feel to the masses at Holy Cross now because that's the more dominant. So the big feast is Guadalupe. I mean, literally, almost almost between two to 3,000 people were there. You know, that's, a, that's no joke. Um, but it's not like there's not Cubans or, well, there's really no Cubans, I think. I think I don't think I may have one. But Colombians and there's Guatemalans and there's Peruvians. And the, and we don't celebrate their feast the same way because they're just the, the terms of numbers. That's always been the case, though. Like with Italians, it was Mount Carmel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the mass wasn't so centered, I guess, linguistically or musically on the culture. It was a little more unity there. And so sometimes that could be somewhat of a problem because I asked one of our choirs one time to learn some different music. And then, oh no, that's not our style of music. And I'm thinking, fair enough, you're used to a certain style of music. I'm not going to force you, but I thought to myself, so I'm not, you know, this should be church music. This is the music of the church, you know, that's the music of the world versus this is no, we do, uh, you know, Norteño style versus Caribbean style, you know? And that, that can be one challenge. It's a beauty, but a challenge of an overly maybe enculturized situation. But, it is what it is. Yeah, but it's also good that you're aware of that. And, and yeah. you, you know, we've talked a lot about it, just how incredibly diverse that parish is. And in every capacity, is an incredibly diverse group. Um, but I think it says a lot that you and, and Father Weber, your pastor, um, and previous pastors there have been very cognizant of that and really do make an attempt to get that feeling across that church is church more than church is culture, you know, without, yeah, without losing that culture. Absolutely. Know? You try. I mean, I mean... Even before the liturgical changes, there was cultural differences for sure, especially the devotional life. That's what you saw the most. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're we're very sensitive to all that, and um, you know, we work very well. I mean, I've I arrived with Father Vincent, a guest was there, mm-hmm. fine man, and we worked very well together. Father Dan Donardo has been there for twenty years, so he's been like the continuous, you know, pulse at that parish for a long time. At least at Immaculate specifically yeah. with the Latino community. And Father Matt Weber is just fantastic. We work very well together, very happy. And uh, we're just plugging along, doing what we got to do. And he brings, oh, we have Filipinos. I forgot to mention the Filipinos. I'm sorry. And um, because Father uh, Matt is fluent in Tagalog and Biko, which is a local dialect that he learned. And uh, half of our Legion of Mary is Filipino. So, and they come for the Legion of Mary. But we don't really have many Filipinos in the area. But we do have them. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, uh, what is a Legion of Mary? Oh, it's a, an apostolate in which they dedicate themselves to evangelization through Marian devotion. Uh, I think it was Frank Duff uh, in Ireland started it. They have a manual that they follow, uh, weekly meetings. Um, it's very much based on the rosary and Marian devotion. So. Well, there's a few of them in the diocese. Uh, well, I actually think almost every parish at one point had one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're the ones that are uh, partly behind helping to organize our biannual every two years, you know, pilgrimage oh, yeah. to, you know, oh, yeah. uh, right. to, um, so I'll put a plug in for the Legion of Mary. <laughs> oh, that's, well, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, you and I are on the board for, you know, we're part of yes. the planning committee mm-hmm. for the pilgrimage, so that'll be... You guys said the pilgrimage twice and haven't said what the pilgrimage is to. The Marian pilgrimage oh, okay. to Washington, Washington D.C. Okay, the National so, Shrine yes. of the Immaculate Conception. Okay, the very Virgin good. Mary. <laughs> it is. It's really... Usually in October. Yeah. Well, it's just really... Largest church in America. Yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. And we'll have the largest mosaic in the world shortly. That's, that's right. right. They're that's putting right. that in. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't ready when we went last year. Yeah, I didn't get to go the last time, but I really, my wife and I were going to flip a coin and say who gets to go to the next one. Mm-hmm. Whoever does, whoever loses has to stay home with the kid and whoever wants to go. I was so. very happy that you liked my uh, posts that I put up. You know, you liked my I did. pictures. You, I was very happy. That you did a great job. It was very, <laughs> there was very good real-time social media capturing of the, uh, of the pilgrimage. So anyone who, you know, anyone who isn't following us on uh, our social media platforms throughout the diocese, as a matter of fact, uh, the diocesan, uh, the Aston Facebook page has just reached another milestone. We're over 800 followers to that, where we started with nothing when I got here. We're now up to 800. Uh, we're the second largest of all the diocesan uh, Facebook pages. Twitter profile is 1,900, the largest in the diocese. Um, and uh, we haven't gotten Instagram. The only Instagram profile for any of the diocesan entities is uh, us for yeah. Talking Catholic 
and I race for vocations for the seven yeah. nights. So we need to, well, we use a lot of social up. media at Parish of the Holy Cross, and we, okay. need, we have two Facebook pages in English and in Spanish. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna see if I can pull it up right now because I'm assuming the statistics I can give you. <laughs> but I, I can tell you this: um, we get a decent following. I've been posting a lot. I do yeah. a lot of videos. Just quick, you know. And uh, I we often get you know. The way Facebook rate works, you know, tells you how many people reached, yeah. how many yeah. views, and all that. So, the, my last post on the Spanish one, I went to visit a premature baby, mm -hmm. reached 4,365 people. See, that's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. You know, 169 likes. But one of our videos, uh, I made a video where um, our parish works with the city a lot with immigrant issues. Mm -hmm. And so, I made an invitation to uh, come and support us. We got uh, 1,507 views of the video. 5,270 people reached. Yeah. So we, we were hustling with the I tell media. you, the, the social media... If you ain't use, messing around. If you use it correctly and you follow the best practices, it is a, it is a very strong tool yeah. for, for communicating to whether it's your parish or diocesan-wide or internationally. Um, I mean, I steal great ideas all the time. I... I Totally admit to stealing great ideas from other entities that I see work. I'm a PR guy. I'm going to call what it is. I'm thievery. I actually went up to Can the... Can taking the court for it? <laughs> right. Oh, great. I'm having this discussion with a moral theologian. I'm, I'm not going to win this. A Spanish Facebook page has 1,118 followers. Wow. Very nice. That is... And let's see what the English one is. Spanish people, they, they just happen to do social media more often because our community is so young. So the English is a little lower, 486, mm -hmm. but the Spanish is 1,100, whatever it is. That is so. That's also knowing your audience, too, as, yeah. you know, it, it might be. I, I tell I tell parishes, you know, I encourage social media, but if you don't have someone on staff or the pastor who's really into it, or more importantly, if you have a, a parish that may skew very old and there's nobody there, you know, it might not be the place where you want to put all your time and focus is social no, media. Absolutely, yeah. But if you do have one and it is appropriate, you should absolutely throw yourself into it. You know, wisely oh, yeah. do everything that we can. But, um, you know, Pete does a great job with the Catholic Star Herald social media. Uh, matter of fact, we have uh, stuff going up this week where we're profiling uh, the top four students at uh, starting this week. Top four students at all the high schools in South Jersey, in the Catholic high schools in South Jersey. Yeah, the graduates, the recent graduates. Right, graduates. Oh right. yeah, definitely podcasting is. And, and oh, that's the most. I mean, yeah, millennial a, thing we've done. I'm a big, yeah. big fan of. I mean, I listen to like five different podcasts and right? Yeah, yeah. 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 it's great. Too. I get annoyed if my podcasts don't refresh enough. I'm like, come on, guys, yeah. create more content. <laughs> um, which reminds me, for any of our podcast listeners, we got to start doing this at the beginning of the, the podcast again. Uh, make sure they like us on Facebook, give us you know five stars, you know get the word out. I've, I've been very happy with our numbers; they've been growing with each and every podcast. We've been getting larger and larger. And from the social media perspective, the podcasts that are most listened to are the people, the interviewees that we've had who have done the most to get the information out that they were on the yeah. podcast. And it kind of, you know, raises all boats. So more people are aware of us. We have more followers on our SoundCloud account now. So I'm very pleased with it. Uh, and I'm actually getting people saying to me, hey, I heard the podcast the other day without having me having to bring it up first. That's, you know, I'm getting that too. I was at the, <laughs> we keep talking about the Lawn Chair Catechism. I was there and people were talking about that. So, um, so that is good. Maybe so, you yeah. should go to the parishes and help them set up. Podcast? Yeah. Well, well the problem is we have to find people that are as energetic as the three of us. When well, they come down, I'm ready. Well, you I'm not worried about. John Kalitz from the diocese came down. He was uh, giving me some, some tips. He's been very helpful to us with our website. And so yeah. I'll, I'll put a plug in for a shout out for John. He works for the diocese, by the way, and he's fantastic. And um, we're trying to get a little studio put together. Mm -hmm. Because I want to use Facebook Live on a more regular basis. Because that's like you have getting your own TV station, literally. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. it just it's amazing. So yeah. I'm going to try to take advantage of that. Uh, hopefully, very shortly. We've been talking about doing some things too. I won't, won't talk about the podcast because I don't know if I'm going to be able to actually create them. But some pretty inventive ways that we can start using new media to really get the word out, specifically focused on South Jersey and the and the diocese of Camden. Um, might be a few few more months away before we can actually pull it together but something to look forward to in the future yeah. and it might even include video so we're gonna have to find better looking host pete well then i'm, I'm sorry for you mike i think i can you um 
Yeah. That's very true. But yeah. unfortunately, we are uh, closing in on the end of the podcast. So I think we're going to have to bring you back for another time, Father. I can yeah, come back every I, week if you want me to. I, I, I have no doubt about that. Plenty of people know I can talk. But, well, I have a few more questions. That but we have, we, have three, we have three final questions. Yeah. Well, and that's uh, the first question, Father Dave, is we were talking about, I mean, I'm going to Victor's uh, tomorrow in New York for Spanish food. Do you have, is there a favorite, um, favorite, uh, Spanish dish that you that you like? Oh, that's hard. Yeah. My mom makes most of them. Um, so I mean, and your so, mom will appreciate that. Yeah, Everything my mom I mean, makes. You know, and in terms of Puerto Rican food, you know, there's turns in the like I like bistec uh, with some white rice. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And uh, I actually like gizzard, and uh, I like liver, and my mom makes this wonderful kind of like. Um, Oh, I forget what it's called. Un guisado, that's what it's called. And they call it gandinga. Mm. You can put it over, uh, you know, rice and stuff. So I love that. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of Mexican food, one of my new favorite things is called a morcajete, which it is, is a volcanic rock bowl. And they put in, um, they could put in beef, shrimp, uh, chicken, uh, cheese, uh, cactus, wow. um, like these onions, they're like little, like, not scallions, but they're like, uh, they're onions, but they're not like the onions you get in the supermarket. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know the weeds that grow around here that mm -hmm. grow like, a bigger version of that thing, you yeah. know? And it's in this big, hot, volcanic rock. You know how they serve fajitas sometimes on a hot dish? Oh, yeah. Imagine a, a hot bowl. Wow. Okay? And it's really a mortar and pistol kind of thing. So it's the, the mortar is the bottom part, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where they serve the, all the food in. That's kind of one of my yeah. favorite things now to order in Mexican places. Wow. Is a mocajete. Oh, and people are like, oh, my mocajete is better than their mocajete, you know. <laughs> so they go wow. to this company. I want to do a, a food competition, and I want to create the award called the Golden Mocajete. That's what I want to do. So I like fun, well, as a fundraiser, you know. I, I come back here and advertise it. There you go. Yeah. You know, hey, can I be a judge? I guess. I mean, I gotta check out your uh, cuisine credentials. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make it on the, on the cuisine credentials. Yeah, next question. I mean potatoes. Question. Uh, yes. Um, so, this is interesting. Well, this is different. We never asked this question before. We we don't know who our next host is going to be. But uh, it won't be my next. Are, are next, we, are we, are we going next away somewhere? Guess, <laughs> guess, <laughs> next guest. We do know who our hosts are going to be. Okay. Your friendly neighborhood, Pete and Mike, over here. Um, <laughs> Father Rivera, for the um, for the next guest who we have, uh, what question, question, guest. future guest? What what would you like to ask them? Well, that's kind of to be honest, it's kind of hard to know who the guest is. But um, I would, I think you've had John Father John Thomas on here, right? Yeah. Times have you had Father Jamie King? No, he's on the list. I no, would, you know, I would, and um, ask him about Eastern Orthodox spirituality. Because that's one of his fortes, and very interested in that. And so, because he discovered he was actually training right, like before getting ordained. Really? Yeah. So that's a whole interesting story. So I would, I would ask Father Jamie King, James like King, uh, the fourth, that's actually his name, uh, about that. And he'll can go on for you could do a whole series. Oh, he did. Yeah. He, he spoke it on the theology on yeah. that. I was just going to ask him about straw hats. What's it like? Or you can ask him about fountain pens. <laughs> Our, our, tea. our most millennial, uh, our most millennial <laughs> or, priests. Yeah. No, yeah. He, 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 I mean, we both have very eclectic interests, but he pursues them much more than I, I, I can. He's one of those guys. I say he's, he's smarter than I. That's why. <laughs> that's why he can do all that. You know, he, he's a good he, friend of mine. He really, yeah, he is. I will say, he's one of the uh, the uh, most. He's just very fascinating, very yeah, nice guy. guy. He is very faithful. Just but you were on the podcast first. Make sure you you were you were you can tell him that. Um, but Father Dave, so the last question: uh, being a priest and you know working at Bridgeton, thank you for speaking with us, uh, the twenty fifth uh, guest or the twenty fifth show. Um, what gets you up in the morning? What keeps you doing what you're doing? Doing God's day? will. I mean, that's I, what I you know um, just a sense that I'm here on a mission and I want to fulfill that mission. Uh, part of that is obviously saying Mass. I mean, you know, every time I say Mass, I want it to be as beautiful as absolutely possible because I think 
And that's why, and when it comes down to it, what attracted me being a priest is the sacramental life, the liturgical life specifically, and the beauty of the liturgy. So um, whenever I have a chance to do that to the best of my ability and with a beautiful choir and decorated church, and I think that's, that's why we, that's why we're there, you know, in the end. I have a lot of other projects, a lot of other interests, but in the end, if then I have that experience of the beauty of the liturgy and where Christ is present. Eh, what, what am I doing here? So that's, in the end, that's what makes me tick. And um, so. Well that's well very said. well said. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. That's right. Thank you. And could you uh, close us with a uh, prayer? Sure. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the great gift that it is to be part of this Diocese of Camden here in South Jersey for being able to do your will here in this part of the world to which you have committed us to tend to the vineyard. We pray in a special way for our, our listeners that they be edified through this podcast and the good and wholesome use of social media and technology. We hope that someone who has heard this, or many that hear this, be brought into a closer relationship with the church, the sacraments, the life of prayer, and especially that someone hearing this may consider a vocation to the priesthood uh, to serve, especially here in our diocese. And I will send my blessing to all listening. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Father. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for listening, Mike. Thank you for 25 awesome shows. Let's see if we can crack out another 25. Yes, and, and let's get some. Okay, hit this right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take it easy, everyone.